We thank you, Lord. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Are we working yet? So I'll have to talk for a minute without my slides. Um, just a, one thing I want to say that's important in, in, in terms of always standing in this place, I'm convicted of standing in this place. Um, the words that are spoken, I believe, come from God always. And that's what I want to come from me. Sometimes when I talk a lot of information, I don't want people to think that doesn't mean we, we neglect the Spirit, we neglect God's grace, or we don't recognize His redemptive power. And I think that was just spoken when you guys were praying over our friend and, and all. And so please, please take this as information to arm you to be a person to have discernment and that the Spirit can work with you in yourselves. That's what this is about. Okay? Well, that's not me. That's not it. I'll, I'll start. Um, this is session three. I'll do a quick review um, that my hope by the church, God's Word, and mental health, it's okay to talk about it, is to open the door for us as Christians to consider all the ways that our gifts could be used as congregational colleagues and friends and family, as well as knowing what to, to do to get solid professionals in to help us understand some of these things that we are attacked by. I say that attacked in this way. We're in a fallen world. The first session that we, I talked, I gave you some examples. There, are, It's pretty clear that our biblical heroes, many of them, did experience mental distress. You might even say some were depressed, suicidal, what have you. I'm not putting them down. I'm just saying that should be actually, that's an encouragement to me. So when I struggle, I know it's not just, I, I'm, I'm, I'm being picked on. <laughs> it's, it is a part of the fact that a fallen world we live in, we never were intended to die, we were never intended to be sick, and we were never intended to have struggles, but we do. So now what do we do with that? In addition to praying and using spiritual support and all those things that we need to have, any gifts that's used, this is my belief, you know, and, and I believe that, no, yes, yes. Um, as as a, a Christian psychologist, that I don't have more knowledge just because I have more knowledge, but I have been allowed to develop a gift and get knowledge that God helps me to use in the right ways. That's, I want you guys to have knowledge that God will help you to use in the right ways. I really believe that a community of compassion is an important thing as we come together um, when we struggle. And so this is hopefully going to establish some groundwork for that. All right, let's see. If I turn it on, it should work, right? All right, that's the things I was just talking about pretty much. Yay, it does work. And we're, we're going to address some more questions. I, Y'all asked good questions, and we're going to keep asking, addressing them if we have time. I feel like I'm racing to get as much in here as I can. Okay. Last week's presentation was about how do I know when a mental health professional is needed or useful for me? Okay, any, any 
remembers about that. I'm going to throw it up there, but what do you remember that might make a difference in figuring that out? We had some examples. I even think we used Mrs. Jan Herndon and Dr. Cliff Herndon side by side as examples of real life possibilities. But what, were, what, what might make you think it, that there's more needed from a professional? What kinds of stuff? Anybody got any recall of that? Extended time, so the prolongedness of the issue that's going on. Okay, what else? The, the extremeness of the change compared to that person's routine self. So if it looks really different, that's a flag. Mm-hmm, Sam? Social dysfunction, occupational dysfunction, things that significantly interrupt your life in everyday ways. So if you're seeing that for a period of time in severe ways, that's it. Any more you want to add to that? Because I'll flick up the switch and move us. Okay. Here's the things that we talked about. The severity, the intensity of the symptoms, how bad is it, how long, how frequently they occur. And as uh, we we just mentioned, significant change from your normal everyday self. All right, now, having said that, tonight I want to shift to a, a, another step. So, so what if I think I need help? How do I figure out who, what, and where? So let's talk a little bit about that uh, as we go. Come on now. First of all, there are names out titles for people who provide mental health services, and I'm going to cover some of them so you kind of know when you hear this word, what, does, what do it mean? You know, what does it mean? Who is this person? What they got going? So I want to, there are several that are licensed counselors. Let's see if I have, I had them. There, there you go. These five categories are ones that are licensed. Licensed meaning that the state of Florida, your government has boards in its Department of Health that oversee the credentials, the criteria for being professional, and set those up. These are, if it has licensed in front of it, that means the state is trying to set up a standard to protect people so that they are known professionals, okay? We're gonna talk about a few other terms too, but just let's, let's go through these first. Okay, licensed mental health counselor, okay? This is the background in terms of training. Master's degree, approved training program two years after they have gotten their degree of experiential counseling services by a fully licensed qualified supervisor who has to meet standards as well. They can do individual couples, family, and group therapy provided they successfully pass the state examination to get there, okay, and keep their continuing education and all those things going, all right? So that's licensed mental health counselor. Marriage and family therapist, master's degree in, actually it should be a master's degree in marriage and family counseling or marriage and family therapy, same kind of state approved, same two plus years. The focus of their training, especially on couples and family therapy issues. You want to say any more about that, Brianna, in terms of the marriage and family specialty? I got it. We got it. Okay. Because that's what she has. She's one of them LMF, MFT people, not LMFT, MFT people. Okay, but not licensed. She has the degree. 
All right, here we go. Licensed clinical social worker, okay? It's not just a degree in social work. It's a specialized extra to, of training in counseling that a social worker degreed person has before and after they receive their degree, okay? They can also do licensed work as individual couples, family, and group therapy. Again, all of them have an examination that's developed by the field that they're in. Social work examination, marriage and family therapy examination, psychology examination, mental health counselor. All right. Licensed psychologist. This happens to be mine. But um, this, is, this one requires at least a doctoral degree. All the others, you can have a doctoral degree if you're a licensed mental health, marriage and family counselor, or clinical social worker. Licensed psychologist, you have to. Um, that's part of the, the, the criteria for uh, training. Um, usually in clinical or counseling psychology for practice, 4,000 hours of supervised experience, 2,000 after the degree is issued. So that means after they finish the hard work of dissertation, they've got to do the other stuff. And again, passing state examination. Now, licensed psychiatrists. We have just shifted a little bit here, okay? Sometimes people don't know or get confused between what a psychologist is and a psychiatrist is. So I want to make, if you know this, please bear with me because I know the psycho-psychist thing is, is confusing to some. All right. First of all, a licensed psychiatrist is a medical doctor. They have gone to medical school. They have gone through medical school, they've gone to a residency training, and they've gone through internship in their training specialized in mental health facilities and mental health care. Okay. What that MD allows them to do is to prescribe medications. Okay. You're just like your primary care doctor, your orthopedist, your podiatrist. Anybody with a medical degree can do that. But they specialize in the kinds of medicines that are used to treat things that we talk about as mental issues or mental disorders issues. So they are often involved in trying to do the diagnosis and match the right kind of regimen of medications if needed. They're not always needed, if they are needed and to monitor and, and, do, and get that appropriate for the, for the person who's taking them. Uh, the American Board of Medical Specialties, you can be board certified in orthopedics, you could be board certified in cardiology. These folks have to be board certified in psychiatry, which is a specialty area that has its own set of regulations and tests. Again, their discipline sets those up so they pass muster. The last line here is important just to understand. Typically, typically, I'm not going to say never, but typically the psychiatrist does not usually do therapy and counseling work. Psychiatrists are often more used to consult and manage psychopharmacology or medication management. Now, that's not always the only thing that's needed. I'm just saying that's kind of the niche that has been created as we look at psychiatry today. Uh, in the past, that whole 
uh, diagnostic catalog, that DSM thing I showed you all last week, um, that's based on a, quote, medical model. So that if you go back to their origins of mental health treatment, the words health and illness are, are in there because it's looked at as a medical issue. Psychiatrists are the original medical base. For, they're the specialists in that. Okay? Now, I think the important thing to understand with this, psychologists may actually have more therapy and counseling experience and background in the counseling treatment and diagnosis than a psychiatrist may have. I'm not putting anybody down, I'm just saying that the, the, the difference in that a psychologist has both the, both the college degree plus four years of specialty training in psychology and in counseling plus their internship. So if you take that medical school part that is past the undergraduate degree for doctors, some of that's learning about livers and spleens and all that other stuff too. So again, the training is different, the specialty is different, but they both have useful purposes. But it's important to know what you're getting when you see which one. That's the part that's important here. So knowing a little bit about what the differences are can at least help you to, to say, for example, uh, as a psychologist or a counselor, I may see somebody and I say, you know, I think there may be some issues that are pharmacologically or chemically based. And they might, it might be helpful to get a consultation from somebody who knows those things well and what they're used for and how they're used. Not every medication in the book, but especially those that have been found to be used for treatment of mental health issues. I want those people involved if that's what I think is needed. And I, and I want to make sure that I'm getting a, a good one who respects that. I also want to make sure they respect that pills don't take away everything. Okay? There's no happy pill. I'm sorry. There is no such thing. There are medications that assist our own systems in managing energy levels, anxiety levels, the chemical neurotransmitters that operate that way. They can be a good, reasonable part of a treatment, but treat not alone. You heard that from me, and it's not, I'm not, not building up my own practice because I'm talking about counseling, period. Any of these professionals that do counseling under these labels can be alongside of working with medication. Okay, y'all with me? Good? Okay. Let's see. Now, you're going to hear other terms. Pastoral counselor, Christian counselor, certified substance abuse professional, therapist, etc. What I've given you earlier is just the ones that are licensed by the state and are sanctioned by the laws of the state of Florida. Your legislature sometime in the past passed guidelines for those categories. Does it mean that somebody who calls himself a pastoral counselor doesn't have any skills? No, it does not. Nor does it mean that somebody who has, is a licensed psychologist is necessarily the best therapist that you might run into either. The quality is, these are guidelines to help us know what people have been trained in. So you walk in and you know. If they have a licensed psychologist plaque on their wall, which 
by the way, if you're licensed, you have to have that up in your office. So I have this little card that I have to put up in my office when I'm seeing people for that purpose. And so do all the other categories have to as well. A pastoral counselor and Christian counselors, they're not, as long as they are not using any licensed terminology, people can be counselors, right? Joe Smith could walk outside, hang up a shield, says counselor, and go to it. If people will come to him and pay him, all the power to him. Does he know anything? Well, I don't know Joe Smith, so maybe, I mean, maybe not. But so what I want you to be able to do is ask the questions in terms of this. Who is this person that I'm referred to or I'm trying to get in with, and why should I listen to him, and what does he have to offer me that is, has, he has qualifications to do? That's all. A good counselor who is well-trained will not be harmed or embarrassed by you asking those questions. It's just like a good heart surgeon is not going to say, say if you ask them, well, where did you, how, many heart, how many heart transplants have you done? They're not going to be worried about saying how many they, they've done. Where would you get your education? They'll be ready to tell you. And if you say, can you help me with my spleen? And he'll say, no, I'm a heart surgeon. That's what I do. That's what I have training in. So you want to know who has what you need and ask the right questions to get that information. Okay? So I told you all last week, I'm a bad patient. I'm a bad client because I'll ask anything to find out what I want to know. Not, not meanly, but I will ask, where'd you get your degree? How many people have you seen that had the same situation I have? Have you worked with children or mostly adults? What's your background? Where did you do your internship? It's okay. It's okay to ask those things. As I, as I would remind you, if you were going to get, let's just say, uh, find a mechanic for your car, would you ask some questions if you were going to use this person for a regular business? Why? Why would you ask questions? You want to know their name? That's it? <laughs> Why would you ask questions? What are you trying to achieve by asking? I want a healthy car. Does this person do good work? Do they know how to work on BMWs? Not that I have a BMW. But do they know how to work on the kind of car I have? Am I going to get a warranty or a guarantee? You know, these are the kinds of things that we ask about things. It's okay to ask them about services, too. It's okay to ask doctors those questions, too, by the way, medical doctors. Just, just put that out there. You have my permission. So if you go into your doctor's office and ask them a question, you say, where'd you get that from? You say, oh, well, some guy at church, Dr. Herndon, said I should ask that. And that's okay. I don't mind getting, I don't mind getting credit for that if you ask because it's a reasonable question. Okay. Um, churches may hire who they may hire because they are to do counseling that they feel trustworthy to do it. They are not required necessarily to have licensed personnel doing it. That does not mean a counselor who works for a church who's not licensed is not good at what they do. Okay, just kind of clarifying that. The licensure is one way of knowing that somebody has, they passed muster with somebody and they met the criteria for, for the state, 
And, but I want to know more sometimes. So I think it's reasonable to ask more. If it's certified, who certified you to do what? What organization gave you the certification? It's a fair question. You're calling yourself certified. Why not? Okay, I get, I get kind of sarcastic here, but bear with me. I just think it's good to be informed and ask. Okay. So, having said that, let's talk about, all right, I know I need something. How do I find an appropriate mental health professional now that I have decided that some of the intensity, severity, uh, changes in me, risk factors, dangers, all those things might be going on and I need help. All right, I'm going to give you a quick, a few quick hints. The first one would be people you know. Do you know people who have worked with a mental health professional or a counselor or a psychiatrist or a mental health counselor or whomever? Do you know people who have had services who are comfortable that you know well enough to trust them and they can talk about the experience they've had? If I'm looking for somebody to be my mechanic, how many times have you seen somebody on Facebook put, anybody know a good mechanic in wherever? Okay, well, you probably wouldn't do that with mental health, but you'd probably be, you could, I don't know what that means. <laughs> it's for my mom, it's for my mom, it's not for me. Uh, again, stigma, stigma, remember, we don't want that. But if you know people who have had services from a, from a person that you can ask them, why not ask? I actually got one of one a client years ago, um, who got my name from somebody at a women's meeting who put the card on the table, and that's how she found out about me. So she was at the, a meeting of people she knew, and somebody said, uh, one of a, one of the people at the table left us. They, this is somebody that they have seen and felt good about. So you, those kind of things are valid provided the level of trust you have in the person's judgment, okay? Pick wisely who you ask <laughs> for referrals from, <laughs> okay? All right, so personal contacts. That could be pastors, too. That could be elders, too. That could be uh, people that are your instructors in school. A lot of ways that you could find out, all right? Another way to get started, come on, whoop, back up. All right, how many of you may, so many of you may have health insurance or medical insurance, health care insurance, one of those terms. Anybody here have insurance that helps pay for things when you get sick? Okay, some of you have it with a particular provider. It's called a third-party provider or an insurer. We got Cigna, we got Blue Cross Blue Shield, we got Aetna, we got da 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 da. All right, if you have a policy that covers you or your family, often you will have some kind of mental health benefit included for coverage. So, on the back of the card, usually there's a number that says, if you need help, call this consumer number. And sometimes it has the behavioral services number or mental health services number. You can call that number anonymously and ask for referrals for mental health services in an area 
or you can look online on their catalog. What psychologists, psychiatrists, mental health counselors, people that are in their network. Now what network means is they have an agreement with those folks that they will work together to provide services to that insurance company's clients. So that may mean different things about what the costs will be. Usually that the in-network people will be able to provide, uh, well, because of the deal they have arranged with the insurer, provide services for less. Doesn't mean they're better, doesn't mean they're worse, it just means that that's, that's the arrangement and insurance has got them in their network. It's like if you have, a, have dental insurance. If you go to a dentist in network, it's cheaper than if you go to one that's outside a network. You go to a same, same deal with mental health providers. Now, understand that you can ask in the network for specialists. I have been in networks in the past, and they have had all kinds of categories I can put myself down. One of them is Christian counselor. So theoretically, it's possible you could say, do you have any Christian counselors in your professional network that provide services in this area? And you can find it. So it's another place to start your search or to continue your search. Okay? Um, then there I've listed three of the referral networks that are nationally based but they have local practitioners in their big database. So Focus on the Family, you're probably familiar with the Focus on the Family Ministry. They have the Christian Counselor Network. The American Association of Christian Counselors has the Christian Care Network. Those are both Christian faith-based places. Psychology Today is not a faith-based one, but it has a broader list of people in your area, which does include Christian practitioners as well. And you can, if, if a person chooses to enter that network, they can say, I counsel from this Christian base or biblical base. And you, so you can look to see what there is out there in your area. You can put a zip code in and they can tell you who has what credentials in your area that, and how they identify themselves. So this is what you, this is, these are places that you could start. So I actually made a copy. The Focus on the Family One's uh, page looks just like this. And if you see, it's find a therapist, find a counselor, they have every state listed. So when you go on to the main thing, look, at, look for find a counselor. And they, by the way, they also have, and I just found this out actually today, they have a free Christian counseling consultation by phone if you call into the 800 number that's listed on the website. And, the, and they are manned by professional counselors. So this is not just a volunteer who is answering questions from who works for Focus on the Family. These are professional people. I called them to ask that question today because I want to be able to tell you what happens when you call. Who are you going to be talking to? Somebody who knows some things about mental health. So you're not just going to be talking about by anybody who they could get to answer the phone between 4 and 5 that you call. Okay, so you can ask. They will also talk to you for a consultation period of time, and then they may help you make referrals to your area. Somebody in your area that they have uh, listed as a professional person. Okay? Uh, okay. 
This is the same kind of idea with the American Association of Christian Counselors. Again, finding who's in your area. And whoops. Psychology Today's Find a Therapist. Again, it's based on, you can sometimes put in the names of people you've heard about and see if they're in there. And they give, give you a little more bio detail. Anybody ever tried looking at some of these find a doctor, find a thing? It doesn't have to be a, a, a mental health person, but have you ever used those before? It takes a little tricky bit business to get into it sometimes. And it really depends on who's enrolled, who signed themselves up to put their names on there. But I was looking at the psychology today, and there's a number of Christian uh, mental health counselors in there. Some of them I recognize because they were students in our program <laughs> and they're now in practice. I'm like, oh, she's in there. Oh, okay. Uh, Anastasia um, and uh, some others. So, anyway, so there's your ways to start looking. So, I was going to do a sample phone call, but I won't uh, because I just want to show you. Here's some of the things you can ask. You can ask. Or you can tell them when you call. You can call and not even have to identify yourself. You can call the Jones Counseling Center and say, Hello, I'm calling because I want to find out some information. I found out about you from your website, from somebody who came around, who I know, whatever, as much as you want to tell. And I have a need for help with working with uh, one of my children has been given a diagnosis of ADHD, and I'm trying to find a professional who might be able to work with us. Um, do you have anybody like that what, with that experience that specializes in that? Are they Christian? Do they, are they open to a Christian worldview and operating that as a part of what they do? You can ask that. Okay? You can ask... Uh, what other qualifications or credentials they may have. You may always find out what it costs. <laughs> yes. What fee structure, how do you charge? Do you, have, uh, do you take insurance at all? Some people do, some people don't. Um, do you have what's called a sliding scale? Anybody know what a sliding scale is? Heather, what's a sliding scale? Yes, they, they adjust based on your report of your income, evidence of your income, the amount they charge you based on what that says you can afford to pay. So you want to know that. I want to know that. Um, uh, do they, again, focus on Christian perspective, do they have more than one location? Where's the person that, I want, that, that, I, that you're talking about located? Where's the office? How long do I have to wait for an appointment? How long will it take? What's the, what's the next thing I have to do? Are you going to send me any paperwork? You know, these are the kind of things that some of that they will volunteer, but you should ask more. Never hesitate to ask. Okay? So that's the search process I would go through, starting with the most comfortable that you may know somebody who knows somebody. Okay? All right. Questions, anything else you'd want to know? If you were going to ask a counselor, I, I want you to serve me or my family, what, what else would you ask them? If, or is there anything I've missed? You know I'm going to say it's okay. 
If they wear blue socks, no, I don't think that's very appropriate, but that's, you know, so. How long is each session? Good. What's the length of the first session, the intake time of the first time I come in, how long should I expect to be there? Okay. Do I, what paperwork do you need from me? Sam? So what is the possibility of it being um, something I need to manage or something I can resolve and do away with? And that may be, that's a fair question to ask. My, my guess is that they're probably going to need to hear from you more to get there. There is a term that we use in the field called informed consent. It's in, in, in mental health field, informed consent. What is, informed consent means when you go to get service, you, need to, you, you are able to find out what you need to know to make a good decision about whether you're going to take it or not, whether you're signing up for the deal. Deal or no deal, that's right. So you can, you can, ask, you can ask that question. Now, whether, whether they have enough information at the beginning, given what you've given them, that's hard to say. But they can address that question. And once they, once they have met you, that's a question that never goes away. You can keep asking for information about things. Now, you said this before. Is that still, is that, now that you've heard me, does that still fit? Does that? Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. Right, male or female. What you do? Absolutely true. And as a parent, I'll add to that. As a parent, if if, if the child is under is not is not of the age of majority, if it's a minor. The child can't get services on their own except if it's an emergency and deem so. They can, the parent is the one who will have to sign, or the guardian will have to sign in and approve whatever services. So as a parent, you would have a right to know information about what the treatment's going to contain because a, a, even a, a teenager is not deemed by law to have the independence, at least Teenagers below the age of 18 do not have the independence to be able to make their own decisions. That's a legal concept. It doesn't mean that teenagers don't participate in their own decisions. That's not what it means. But it means that it has to be overseen by the parent or the guardian. Or if it's somebody who has mental limitations in terms of their competence and capacity to think and decide, if they have a, a legal guardian, that guardian is the one who who is able to ask those questions and get those things straight. So that would be, that would be important to know as well as uh, being able to find out what kind of counselor they are and do you have somebody who's in, in the age generation that I think might fit my, my son. 
Or maybe you just want to see a male or female. You can do that. I mean, do you have a male therapist that deals with this? Do you have a female therapist? That's okay. That's your preference. It's you, it's you who are going to go in. So once you become involved in it, you don't, you're not obligated to stay there forever if it's not working for you and for them. You have the right to, to try it out, get it started, see if it's working, discuss that with the person you're working with, and you can say, you know, I'm not sure this is the right match. And that can happen. That can happen. So you are the, you're the boss in terms of that, making, making decisions about your own care and treatment. Except if you're not 18, then you're sub-boss. All right? Good. Now, I had asked uh, my friend here and colleague, Tina Vargas, to come to spend a little bit of time talking about mental health issues related to teens. We could spend a whole night on that. You guys asked for it, so I want her to at least say a few words about that, if you will, um, and give, give that. You, you want me? I'll introduce you if you wish. No. I think you just did, right? Yeah. But it, in terms of why you're qualified to stand in front of these people and tell them this stuff. Well, I am a uh, mental health provider, um, a clinical social worker with my master's degree, working on my licensure through the state. But at the end of the day, if we understand anything, mental health, it all boils back down to the word of God. And I know we're making, like, giving all these resources and we're equipping everybody with all this, but when it comes to, like, our youth and to teens and understanding and identifying the needs in society, it's no joke. The enemy has an assault on this next generation. And I am in the trenches every day in the public school system for the last three years, just so you kind of know my experience. And um, I deal with a lot of suicide ideations, which is thoughts of ending our lives and hopelessness and how all of this goes against our youth, right? And it's, it kind of comes back to the assault on the mind. And so when we kind of look at all this, you know, it can be a little overwhelming, right? Like it's like so much information to take in. But as a parent, as a body, we need to be aware to be able to identify issues that we see our young people and not just you know, close our eyes to it because we do have a responsibility, right? So when we talk about the youth, just giving you a little bit of statistics, you know, suicide is the number two um, top um, issue for death, in, especially here in, in the state of Florida. So over the last few years, we have about 3,500 cases that are full completion of death of suicide. And so you see what's happened with the schools and the assaults and the threat assessments, and the schools are investing a lot of time and money in mental health, right? We've all seen, like, a lot of people are scared and fearful to send their kids to a public school and all the different trauma that's going on and be able to identify what those issues and risks are so our kids can be educated, right? And some of, you know, we, Johnny might come home from school one day and he closes himself in the room and he can, um, you know, he kind of is isolating himself. He's not talking and enjoying 
of the things that he used to enjoy anymore. He's not, he's shutting you out, right? And those are things to say, like for as a youth, you know, we need to be aware and to, you know, identify that and say, hey, let's get some help. And, you know, as our kids, when they get older, hormones and all that good stuff, they push you away. But you, we, we as a people need to be ever more engaging with our youth and children, right? Children are not, what do you want to say? They're not a nuisance to society. They're not, these are destined, you know, from heaven that have a purpose. And it's our job, if you're in a living, breathing adult that is spirit-filled, that has Christ-centered in your life, we need to be investing in these generations. We need to be discipling and being in these um, young people's lives. Not just be like, hey, you know, we, we need to be engaged because the number one issue of depression for kids, you want to know what it is? Nobody cares. Nobody cares about me. My parents don't care about me. They, they come home. They're tired. They click on the TV. Psh, they're out, right? It's like family. We're not engaging. We're not talking. We're all busy and we're all tired. And that's hence we see all the issues because we're all tired and nobody's coming together as a family and being engaged that God, that Christ designed us to, to engage with one another. And it's in, you know, and even Sunday, we've talked about all these amazing, you know, uh, scriptures of, you know, as a man thinks, so is he. Mm -hmm. Where does depression come from? Number one is depression that children, teens, and young children. I had a, a fifth grader who did a full suicide attempt, and she was resuscitated. I see her every week now. She's in sixth grade. Does that not say something's wrong, right? But we can go to church, we can do our thing, but we need to be out. And this is awesome because we have a Christ-centered church that is saying, calling us to action, right? To say, to be engaged as a parent, to be informed as a parent, to be informed as a body and a believer, that we take this knowledge and we are engaging in society and being the light. And I think we have a responsibility. I think that's what's so powerful about this presentation knowing to have those resources and tools to get help. We need to know who to call, right? Like it's, you know, I mean, so, and when we think about our youth and just understanding the pressures of everything that they deal with, you know, and I know we all were youth one day, but the pressures that in, of the societal um, influences on these kids, it's not like when we were kids. They're not dealing with the sexual predators. We, we didn't deal with that, that, that type of intensity and have that access on the devices, you know? And parents are not aware. That they're, they're like, oh, here, Johnny, go play the game. And you have no idea what Johnny's actually playing. And you can be, he can be a spirit-filled, great family. And you're like, how did Johnny get here? Mm -hmm. Because we didn't know, you know, they were left alone. Left, you think, you know, he can make those good choices. They're a kid. They can't. So we have to be engaged. We have to know what our kids are. We have to set up parental controls. We have to make limits. And we have to be a family. I mean, I could go on and on, but, you know, give you just a little. Bit. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Again, we could go on and on. And maybe sometime we'll do another part that has more specifics related to certain kinds of issues. All right, a um, couple, of, couple of other things. Some, other, some practical suggestions. Uh, if you're just looking for information to read, 
Focus on the Family has a mental health topic page, which has essays and information about things from, and you can't see it because it's kind of small, but from uh, caregiving of a spouse to drugs to eating disorders to elder care to gambling to et cetera. So if you want just a place to read some information and kind of get with a biblical Christian worldview, Go on and, and uh, you know, peruse those issues that are available on there. Uh, there's a couple of other things I will, I will share with you. Uh, this actually is my, one of my colleagues from Southeastern. His name is Dr. Adrian Manley. And he's a licensed marriage and family therapist who practices out of Claremont. But several years ago, he wrote this book. and People were saying, what can you do like on day-to-day -day things to deal with? Uh, life issues. Um, and he wrote this. It's not a huge textbook kind of thing, but it is a, uh, as he says, godly wisdom for everyday life. And Dr. Manley is an amazing, he's a pastor uh, of a church up in that area. He's been the pastor for many years. He's got a really, he teaches in our program at, at Southeastern, and he's a mental health uh, professional in marriage and family therapy. So, if you, I have a copy of it if you want to look at it and maybe get copy down some of the information. Uh, I'll have some copies up here. So that's one. Another one, <laughs> you can see this one's well used. Um, there's a, there's a American Association of Christian Counselors has what's called a soul care Bible. It's a, you know, we have Bibles that have almost every kind of uh, theme maybe in them. And, and that's not a bad thing since they're geared to. Soul care is a Christian life issues counseling prepared uh, setup. So it go, this bookmark, which I'm going to try and find some new copies of it, so maybe I can buy a bunch and give them away, um, but it has references to scriptures that relate to uh, marriage, money, motherhood, obedience, pain, etc., 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 and scriptures that go, key scriptures that go along with it. Plus, there are articles, short articles within the text that go along with it by Christian counselors. Um, Chuck Swindoll, um, uh, Dobson, I think, has, has some. There's a bunch of really well-known professional Christian counselors that have written segments in there. And so there's, it's good reference material to kind of gain some perspective. So uh, that's, that is the bookmark for it, but it also has a little quick reference guide. Again, uh, and the Bible itself is regular Old and New Testament. All right. I wanted to have Brianna speak a little bit about anxiety and depression because people are asking about that. I know it's, it's moving, time's moving on, but can you spend a few words for us, Brianna, about... To, to give the overview here, I'll put, and these are some of the questions that you guys had that are related to it. I skipped actually a couple slides. You want to go up? There? Yeah. Um, so I know this is a super common one, so we're going to go real quick, but just so you have kind of a more of an understanding, um, the, the differences between like, oh, just a regular everyday kind of like annoyance, so to speak, and also a like 
okay, this this is becoming more of a, a, an issue that I, I might need help with. Um, so this is straight from that, that fat DSM book. Um, the general symptoms is it's hard to sleep. Um, maybe they're, the person is not sleeping through the night, or maybe they're sleeping through the night and then some. And so it could be either extreme, um, some of the other things, eating, not um, either. Maybe you've heard of binge eating or anorexia, the two different extremes, again, of that. Um, basically, the, the overarching theme is that it's, it's extreme to what the person is normally doing. Um, so there's also lack of energy. They don't have energy to do the things that they once enjoyed. Kind of went over that. Um, feelings of like they're, there's they're, they feel guilty or like they're they don't they're not worth anything. They're hopeless about the future. Um, a lot of these things just seem really sad. And so it's just it's kind of sadness, but to the extreme. Um, and so there is that that difference. This is extreme sadness. And there's also different levels of it. There's there's extreme, like major uh, depression, and then there's also minor. Um, so there's a, a lot of different nuances as well. A difficulty concentrating on certain tasks. They're trying to like get their homework done or something, for example. Um, maybe they can't finish one assignment without um, having just these negative thoughts swirling in their mind. It can be very distracting. Um, and then also, as she addressed, thoughts of suicide. Um, so those are just kind of the main symptoms, just to kind of keep an eye out for, since this is such a common one. And then anxiety, it's just the basic symptoms. They're kind of similar, but they're, they're different. Um, so they think, uh, they're, they're fearful and worry. They think about worry like more often than not. So it like consumes their mind. It spends, they spend most of their day with these kinds of thoughts. Not like it, um, you know, if we typically think about like maybe a thought will enter our mind and then we're like, no, I'm not gonna do that. But like. With this, when it becomes extreme, they're constantly thinking about it, and they don't reject it, and it's just kind of like circles and circles. Um, restlessness, again, that the difficulty with sleeping. Um, with anxiety, though, it's probably more the difficulty sleeping, like not being able to sleep through the night. Um, they get very irritated quickly, and they ha also have a hard time concentrating and sleeping as well. So those are just some of the general, wanted to do that real quick. Um, and it was uh, in one of the questions that you guys had written into us, kind of ad addressed that. And so that's how we wanted to kind of bring that in there and then to say, to talk about this. Is it this question or is it a different one? It's different. Okay. Some, these are questions that came in in the uh, written questions and I wanted to uh, have us at least put them up there so we can talk about it a little bit. Some of these related to how does counseling happen uh, when you go to a Christian counselor? Well, you know, it's important to realize that how many versions of Christianity do we have? And I think we have as many as are in this room. At least there's some, our personal relationship and our personal Christianity is, is that way. So how does it work with a counselor? Well, what gifts does that counselor have and what is their fundamental belief systems? I'm not talking about they don't believe in the Trinity, they don't believe in uh, the redemptive uh, the death of Christ and redemption. I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about, though, what, are, what is their life experience in terms of, I would, I would say if you're saying, who has words of wisdom, words of knowledge, and discerning of spirits, I believe those are spiritual gifts that are given by the Holy Spirit to people for use, but not everybody is necessarily imbued with every one of them. 
So if you go and saying, do you use gifts of the Spirit? Well, yeah, but how many times do you say words of wisdom? Well, I, some people might not have that gift. They might not have that to apply, but they may have another gift of counsel, wise counsel in that. So some of that is going to be determined by what they see you need and who they are in relationship to you. I always tell my, my counselor trainees, there are two things that help us to tell how we're going to, what kind of theoretical perspective or what way are we going to deal with people. One is sitting in front of us, which is what does that person in front of me need and how, how can I best meet that need? And the other one is what things do I know and have God-given gifts to apply? So both of those have to be determined in the presence of the relationship with that person. So I don't know if we can really spend enough time discussing avoiding offense. Uh, read John Devere's, uh, Bevere's uh, Bait of Satan, and that'll help you there. Okay. Uh, let's see. I think that's it. So we wanted to stop, and if, if you have questions, we can hear from you and... Hopefully, if other questions come up, you can certainly come up to us and ask us about them as we go. Are there questions that you want to ask? I know, uh, Misty, you had a question last week. And I don't want to. She can't remember what it is. Okay. Boundaries. Not. Okay, David. Good. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, that not all things that are mental illness are demonic in nature that way as, as if they're possession. Um, some of that is a spiritually discerned thing, and if you've had experience have, and you've seen somebody in possession and how they respond, that it, it can look similar to some mental health issues like schizophrenia which is schizophrenia is people talking out of their head, lack of contact with reality, saying weird things, having multiple different sounds and voices and those kind of things. However, there's, a, I think, a different... Some of this is, if you're a Christian, knowing mental health, you're going to see that there is a difference in terms of your physical, spiritual sense of what is going on here. Um, and they, they, some of it's just a discerning presence, but I, there's a lot of times when people over dis describe things like hallucinations as demonic. People can have hallucinations for other reasons than demon possession. They can see things, hear things. They can, be, they can have issues related to dementia. They can have brain damage. They can have other, other things like that. And they can have the, the, the diagnosis of schizophrenia, which we know some about causal factors, but we don't know really good stuff about that. So it takes kind of a, within those branches, it takes a trained eye. I think you have to have some exposure to, to having seen someone who's possessed and then seen somebody who's schizophrenia to make the best comparison. So I, have you seen signs of, of de demonic possession in people? I know they've, we've had times when people have manifest, as they say, here, right? Okay. So it, it, it's not going to look quite the same as mental health issues where you're seeing things, hearing things, and they have other uh, more orderly ways of disorder. Orderly ways of disorder. I guess that's the best way to put it.
So I don't know that it fully answers your question because it's, in some sense it has, it's a discerning piece. So. Mm-hmm. If a counselor hears that this person isn't threatening to harm themselves or others or actually neglect as well, do they have an obligation to report it? They do, and they do have that obligation to report that. And usually in the beginning of therapy, there are certain exceptions to confidentiality that you should be made aware of, and that it, those are some of the prominent ones. If I believe that one of them is child abuse or, el or elder abuse being someone who can't defend themselves, that, that is reportable by law. It's actually reportable by any of you by law, too. So you have an obligation to report abuse as well to the, the, uh, the Child and Family Services and the abuse hotline. There's an abuse hotline for both suicidal neglect and abuse, and you can get help with that. And, and if, so, yes, that is required. So if somebody comes up and starts talking about suicide to you, you have to use your judgment as a clinician to decide if it's uh, how reasonable and how serious is the threat given the information I know. As a person in the community, if you have any reason to believe the person is, is got a means and a, a, a will to harm themselves, you don't... You don't have to prove it. You can just get help with it. You can call the authorities, call uh, on the uh, police force, the sheriff's department. They will help take, it, take it, assistance with that. Yes, sir? If you don't report it, as a professional there are, because you are, you are bound to ethically and legally report those cases where somebody's in danger. And even if they're threats to somebody else, you have obligations to protect that person. And they, they're, there's been famous cases legally about that. Um, so, yes, there are ramifications if you are proven not to have done your due diligence to the law. Right. Yeah. It has to be taken seriously no matter what. Mm-hmm. If you choose to report it anonymously, they'll ask you if you want to give your name or not, but you don't have to. Sam?
In the outside world of counseling? Christian world of counseling. Well, I think that, well, it also has to do with training, experience, and the desire of the Christian person to integrate that into their ability to counsel. There are programs that, like Southeasterns and others, that actually focus on a lot, making the spiritual and the integration with the psychological knowledge be a part of it. Do you want to speak to that? Um, it really does depend on the individual counselor and like how, how much they incorporate it into it, but then also how they see the need of the person sitting in front of them, like how much they might need it or allow it. Um, but there are other, I'm talking about that. The, there are other organizations that they're not state licensed, but they kind of work similarly but they've got more of a like a spiritual training aspect to them if that makes sense so where it's um i mean main psychological training um does focus on the psychology and then they they and and it incorporates different um your, your faith it incorporates your faith in how to use it in the counseling session or not but there are other organizations for example the national christian counselors association um, where it incorporates more specifically like spirituality and psychology into their training. Um, and so there's that vein where you'll typically see like the pastoral counselor in front of it. They probably have more training in that area. Um, they also in mainstream training typically say like if it's out of your expertise, don't go there. And so if there's a counselor that's not as familiar with the faith or the gifts, certain gifts of the spirit, they're, they're technically not supposed to go there if they don't know how to use them. And so you can ask, like, in that ses part where you say, like, you ask the person questions, like, what's your training, what's your background, where do you come from? You can ask those kind of questions in How does sense. Christianity fit into what you do? Because it really depends on the individual. Usually they're individualized, um, but I think that they can work together. Um, like there are deliverance ministries and there are counseling ministries, but I usually it's separated, but I do think that they can work together. So. I, I, would, I would agree with, you, we, we can't narrow it down that tightly that this, there is a one way to do it to include everything. Um, and again, but I will say that there are many Christian counselors who agree that God's presence and what he does in the counseling room, whether it be through the counseling activity itself or whether it be through supernatural intervention, through prayer or deliverance, that's God's ways of doing it. He can do it how he will do it. Are we open to allowing it to happen? And at what level are we as a counselor open to allowing it to happen? And some, some are going to have... Difference, there's a spectrum of possibilities about that. I happen to believe they don't have to be separate. And 
as I told you, last, said last week, there are people that maybe need to walk out their deliverance and counseling, and there may be people who are in counseling who need to be prayed over for deliverance. It goes both ways. Yeah, like, for example, like, there's people who have a pastoral license as well as a counseling license, and so they would be more likely fully equipped to handle whatever comes at them in a, in a meeting, in a session. And so, like, for example, like, I fully use whatever the Holy Spirit tells me during a meeting with somebody, like, I'm going to do because I can kind of pull on both of those. And so if that's something that you guys are specifically looking for or are more comfortable with, you can look for something like that. It really does depend on the individual. I really think it's reasonable just to ask, how does your Christianity play into what you do as a counselor? And let them talk to you about that. Because they have to be able to have made that decision themselves in order for that to happen. So it's that kind of a thing where discerning and asking. And we're out of time. <laughs> we're, I'll put some books up here if you guys want to come look at them. If you want to ask us questions, please do. We thank you for the opportunity to be with you uh, over the last three weeks. And... Keep it going.